0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, Price and Coverage Match Limited by State Law.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Fantasy Football Report. Uh, we're talking the FFPC Playoff Challenge. I, of course, am Blair Andrews. I'm with my co host, Hassan Rahim. As always, Hassan, how's it going?
2: Oh, Blair is going fantastic. Uh, I'm actually really excited to be talking about this with you, uh, with the FFPC. It's a really fun little format here with the the, the playoff league. Uh, it's you know it's two hundred dollars to enter. It's got a two hundred thousand dollar grand prize, uh, a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar total prize pool, and it pays all the way out to six hundredth place. There's still spots available if you if you are thinking of a way to like continue extending your having fun this entire fantasy season well into the playoffs. This is a great way to go. It's actually very easy to play. There's no salary cap. There's no draft to worry about. All you got to do is take. 10 players that make up your team roster and you're only allowed to use one player from each NFL team so if we use uh, Patrick Mahomes for example as a quarterback when you're making our when we're making our lineup we just can't have any other Chiefs on the roster which is a bit of a bummer because I just want to take uh, all the Chiefs and then just be call it a day Um, so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about a little bit today we're going to get into our uh, strategy a little bit of lineup construction um, and uh, bear in mind that we recorded a, a very long uh, podcast with uh, friends of the pod, uh, Pat Corrine and Pete Overzet. If you have not listened to that, please listen to that prior to listening to this because it should really set the foundation for the FFPC playoffs Challenge going forward.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we definitely don't want to repeat kind of what we're saying in the other pod, but uh, I think we can avoid that. We've got a really special guest joining us today to talk some strategy. That's Rotoviz co-owner Sean Siegel. Sean, what's up? Well,
1: just got back from a a long drive. Not anything as exciting as what Hassan did, but uh, looking forward to to talking some football. The playoffs this year are more than ever with that wildcard weekend looking like fantastic games. Usually there's one dud or, or even a couple of duds in there, but this year those games should be perfect. And then obviously with Patrick Mahomes at the helm of the Chiefs. Uh, any Kansas City person is looking forward to this playoffs like no other. So uh, getting into what should be a great uh, reality tournament, and certainly this FFPC fantasy tournament is a lot of fun. Uh,
3: Yeah, so kind of like we said, we're putting together lineups, trying to talk some strategy, figure out strategy. I think one thing Hassan and I have uh, kind of been... (laughs) disagreeing a little bit about we can just jump right into one of the games is this philadelphia chicago game um zach ertz is probably going to be the only guy on philadelphia who is uh who anybody is going to have any interest in rostering and i guess the question is is he worth rostering or is he someone to avoid if we think the eagles are going to be bounced right away
1: yeah I, i think that with ertz for me, it comes down to a lot of the other games because Ertz would be in there on a roster where maybe I have some diversification elsewhere. But also, Ertz is in there I think because if you're going to go with a Chicago Bears team or a Chicago Bears player, then you get caught into in an interesting scenario where you're taking the team that maybe you like to to win, but there there isn't a compelling Bears player. Although perhaps that allows you to start with a diversification just from that perspective because any Bears player is likely to be a little bit more unique. So I think we have one scenario perhaps where the Eagles win, one scenario where the Bears win, and you can put a lineup together like that. And then going over to the AFC, for me, and and you guys talked about this a little bit before we started the show, but that Indianapolis-Houston game becomes a very interesting game because If you're going to pick the Colts, then all of a sudden there are some very exciting scenarios, I think, going forward from that. And so you could get diversification that way by picking a top Colts player and then perhaps have uh, exposure to many of the other big names. So I I guess the way that I like to do this is have almost all the big games, but then use those wildcard upsets to perhaps create a different lineup.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. And one of the reasons we've been going back and forth just a little bit on that uh, Eagles um, Bears game is because we were considering a 100% fate of the Eagles. Like uh, you can only choose 10 out of the 12 teams. And, uh, you know, so we were considering two teams you just don't want to have any exposure to. And I don't know if the Bears fit that bill, um, primarily because, you know, they're. Fairly good. And I think the guy who uh, really catches uh, our eyes, I mean, really on the Bears, who you kind of want is someone who's successful in all sorts of scripts. And that's uh, uh, Tariq Cohen. You know, I mean, this is a guy who we've seen him get usage in the neutral script. We've seen him get usage in negative script and provided the Bears win, that sets up a date for them with the, the Rams. And, uh, you know, the last game was a bit of a dud. It kind of fizzled out. But if the Rams are actually able to move the ball a little bit, put a little bit of pressure, all of a sudden it's, uh, oh, wow, this Jordan Howard fellow, he's not particularly great. Yank, Tariq Cohen time. And then you've also got, you know, the fact that they're receiving core is all fairly banged up. Um, and uh, so, so Cohen will be getting those cheap receptions, and then he does get this ridiculous yak. And then on top of that, we also get the special team's ability of him scoring a touchdown and the possibility of six points there if you don't want to go ahead and swallow uh, the chalk with the Bears' defense. Sean, so what are your thoughts uh, with that, you know, like a 100% Eagles fade or Bears with Cohen, something to that extent?
1: Right, so I I think that one of the things with, going with Ertz is that if they win that game and get two games, then suddenly you're, you're sitting pretty potentially at the tight end position. And if the Eagles lose, then you put yourself in a position where you've lost the tight end. Uh, you know, not ideal to lose that guy in the first round. Really. You want to have players entirely from that group that is going to be moving forward. And, or you're going to be using your kicker and defense off of those a couple of those losing picks. And so, but if you lose your tight end, Right you're going to be basically okay. But if he goes forward, you're going to be in great shape. Going over to your point about the Bears, however, I think Cohen becomes a lot more interesting in the playoffs than maybe he was down the stretch of the regular season. One of the things that we saw were that the Bears were so dynamic defensively that they didn't need to use him as much. But that's where it gets so exciting in the playoffs. We don't know exactly what the Eagles will be bringing to the table with their quarterback situation, but that could be a game that is a much higher scoring game than some of these games that we've seen the Bears play recently where their defense has just been too good and shutting people down. So you have that game as a potential shootout, and then certainly you move beyond that. And let's say you have to go Eagles, Rams, Saints, Chiefs to win. Well, if they would go through that route, Cohen would have to be extremely involved in all of those games, at least you would think. I mean, certainly their defense will have to play well also. But Cohen against those four teams, I mean, that's the magic stretch in terms of where we could see him have a huge role almost from the beginning in all of those games.
3: Yeah, that's a great point. It's one of the main reasons that we've been almost locking Cohen into a lot of our teams. Um... In a scenario like that, where the Bears kind of make a run, would Cohen be, I guess, the preferred option on a team even more than Trubisky?
1: I think so, because one of the things the Bears have done to an extent is is shown that they can win, uh, even win games that are somewhat high scoring without him having these monster performances. Although he has, on occasion, put up the rushing numbers that really jump his points up there. I think In this situation, you would probably want to go with Cohen and then a quarterback from the AFC, but certainly Trubisky is not completely off the table if you like the Bears. When Colm and I recorded the other day, I mentioned that I was picking Chiefs Bears in the Super Bowl, and so (laughs) if you think that that has much likelihood, then Trubisky becomes much more palatable than really any other Bears scenario.
2: Uh, One of the other things that's giving me pause a little bit about Ertz is the Bears are fairly stout against the tight end. Uh, They've... Granted, they haven't played very, ma- uh, very many opponents, but they've only given up one 50-yard receiving game this season, and that was to George Skittle, who really took up a lot of target share. Um, and uh, bear in mind, uh, the Eagles did play the Saints in the Superdome uh, a few weeks ago. That game ended uh, 48-7, to and Ursh uh, went 2-15 for 15 on three targets, and that was a Wentz under center, uh, their highest... <laughs> The best receiver that game was a uh, recently acquired Golden Tate and followed by Jordan Matthews. I just don't think the Eagles, even if they're able to get by the Bears, are going to do very much against the Saints. So I, it just really kind of gives me pause because, you know, Ertz does have to go through the Bears who are adept at defending the tight end and then he runs up into the Saints who are the best best defense at defending the tight end in this playoffs and one of the top three defensive defending the tight end uh, in the entire NFL.
3: Yeah, uh you make a good point about Ertz in case uh listeners can't tell I'm the one that's trying to kind of defend Ertz here. But um yeah, I mean if you're not playing Ertz, then uh you're probably looking for another pivot play at tight end if you want to roster Mahomes. You obviously can't get Kelsey Um, one guy that I'm not finding in a lot of the lineups I'm putting together, but I do see in one that you've made, Sean, is Rob Gronkowski. Can you, uh, talk about, uh, maybe what you expect from him and whether, uh, kind of his 2018 season that we saw might be a mirage?
1: Right. So I think with Gronkowski, one of the things that you're looking at here is how much, how likely you think the Patriots are to win that first game, but also the possibility that you could actually own Gronkowski in a situation where he wouldn't be owned by a ton of other owners. It's sort of a unique scenario. And the counter argument is always just, well, yeah, he's not going to be owned because he hasn't been good. And there are no signs that he would be uh, going forward, but it's a way to attack the tight end position. And it's a way to address the Patriots, a team that I think is not particularly palatable with the rest of their players. I, I think for me it comes down to either you know doing a little bit of a unique move with Gronkowski or putting Julian Edelman into your lineup there. We have so many dynamic running backs and so many running backs who have a very good shot at multiple games that to use a running back you know or even obviously a flex position on White or Michelle, I think that becomes trickier. So One of the things I've been looking at here, and I see that you all have a lot of lineups that actually don't feature Patrick Mahomes. So maybe uh, diversifying off of him or having a diverse lineup with him is not as big a concern as maybe I'm thinking. But if we have Mahomes as the quarterback and then we're trying to pick stars and yet unique lineups, then I think Gronkowski is appealing simply because uh, he's Gronkowski, but also I don't... Care as much for the rest of the Patriots players. So Gronkowski is less exciting this year, but so are the rest of their guys across the board. So in in past years, where it was always, well, how do we afford, or in a situation like this, how do we play both Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, or how do we have like a Brady lineup and a Gronkowski lineup? This year, you're not really looking to do either thing, but Gronkowski could fit this position that, you know, outside of Ertz, and then obviously outside of Kelsey. But I think with Kelsey, there are so many other ways to play the Chiefs that maybe he's not the guy you're looking for right there, especially if you're expecting the Chiefs to go a long way. And, I mean, one of the things with Ertz and Kelsey this year is they scored so many points that you can't just look at them and say, well, you know, we don't want our tight end to be our Super Bowl guy. At the same time, maybe that's still – a little bit the case where you prefer to go with a quarterback or a running back uh, or even one of these top wide receivers that the playoff teams are not as star wide receiver heavy. And, uh, you know, Deandre Hopkins is my guy, but I, I don't like the Texans to advance. And so Hopkins is not someone I'm wanting to roster as much because of that. So with, with that being the case, looking for players off the chiefs, who would be in that Super Bowl? You know, for me, it, re- it really comes down to Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. Are are those the two guys you are looking at to put into the lineups, or does Kelsey become someone, or a different Chiefs player become someone you're looking at pretty seriously?
3: Um, <clears throat> yeah, Kelsey is somebody I'm looking at pretty seriously. The main reason is because FFPC, of course, is tight end premium, so um, you know, you can kind of make a case that. You want in a tight end who will possibly be in the Super Bowl. I mean, we've seen, you know, Kelsey put up like these 40 point games and kind of in tight end premium formats and in the, you know, double points for the Super Bowl. That, that becomes a lot of points. And obviously, Mahomes can do that and way more. So it's kind of hard to justify even taking Kelsey over Mahomes. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of ways to play the Chiefs. Even last night when we were recording with Pat and Pete, we were talking about Damian Williams as someone who uh, almost nobody would be rostering, who could potentially score a lot of touchdowns and give you a really nice leverage play.
2: Yeah, and, and really, it's just sort of the the play, the leverage play being on Mahomes. Uh, I think. The best way is, and I think Pete mentioned on the pod last night, and I'll re- reiterate it right now. And it's, I just want that Mahomes touchdown goodness. Like, this is a guy who's going to go out there and probably throw a couple of, you know, random TDs in, uh, provided the Chiefs make a run. And you can see just Anthony Sherman or Demarcus Robinson or Chris Conley catch a TD or two. And like, I, I would much rather have that on my team uh Kelsey is one who uh and Hill are the two that I was looking at outside of that um Damian Williams is just so many running good running back options that unless you're really playing heavy volume I don't know uh why you'd want that like, you'd probably want to sprinkle him in then but like for for uh lower uh lower volume players like Blair and myself we're not really looking to get much Damian Williams in. I don't think any of our lineups actually have him in uh so I really like the Gronkowski call. I spent uh, a lot of time with the screener yesterday trying to get it to uh, unlock the riddle of uh, Rob Gronkowski. And the best I was able to come back with was uh, the game that they played against Miami, where it was a furious back and forth. And uh, Gronk put up uh, a tight end one numbers. He went eight for eight uh, with a touchdown. And, um, just slightly prior to that against the the Jets, he actually, when he came back from injury, he had three catches on seven targets with 56 yards and a touchdown. The only concern I had there was, uh, when they were playing against Pittsburgh, he didn't really do much, but the team really didn't. And they didn't need him against the Jets or the Bills, which kind of could go down to explain why his, um, Production was muted, but I really like that call, Sean. Like, the ability to get an elite tight end at supremely low ownership and not have to pivot to Edelman or Guskowski is a really good way to pay the, the bats. So, look, let me
1: ask you guys, is there a scenario in which... So, looking at your different lineups, so you got some Mahomes lineups, some Watson lineups, Trubisky, uh, Jerry Goff, and Drew Brees. You mentioned the Texans-Colts game. And I I really like the Colts in that game. And then you look to a game between the Chiefs and the Colts. And the Colts are absolutely on fire. Andrew Luck is on fire. The Colts defense is ascending. The Chiefs defense is sort of this bend-but-don't-break defense where they're hoping that you make a mistake as they allow you to get massive chunk play after massive chunk play. And it's and it's chunk plays from the perspective of eight-yard run, 10-yard run, seven-yard run, fifteen yard pass completion. And all they're really hoping to do is stop you from scoring a 60-yard touchdown, make you run some plays, and hopefully they get a sack or a turnover, which is what their defense does okay and we saw that a little bit in week 17 where they're playing for real they're trying to get that number one seed obviously the difference between where the Chiefs landed and the Chargers landed with identical records uh you know very sharp contrast so they're playing that game and it was entertaining in its own way because the Raiders had this huge advantage in time of possession and first downs and yet the Chiefs were the ones actually scoring and then creating the turnovers scoring off the defense that kind of thing so They're going to try that approach, but it's very different doing against the Colts than it is against the Raiders. As a Chiefs fan, obviously, you know, I'm Super Bowl or bust, but as a fantasy owner, I'm looking at this game and I'm thinking, number one, Andrew Luck is going to put up a massive score and number two, the Colts could actually win. And if that happens, then suddenly Andrew Luck becomes maybe the most exciting quarterback for this particular kind of format especially then because you can put all of the stars in a lineup with him
3: yeah that's a great point i don't we don't have any uh Andrew Luck lineups i think we've been looking at Ebron as a way to you know as a pivot uh off of the well he actually might be a high on tight end but kind of if you don't want to play Ertz and you already have Mahomes in then You kind of have to play ebron if you want any tight end production so we've kind of been looking at it from that angle but um yeah you make a lot of interesting points i mean the game against houston obviously i think has the highest total right now and it's been moving i believe toward the colts the line so um there there are some indications that the colts might win that game uh Yeah, I don't know why we haven't quite considered Luck. I think we probably are a little, maybe a little too scared to take someone who we think has a good chance to lose in the first round. But um, I know T.Y. Hilton is also dealing with some injuries, so uh, it sounds like he's going to be good to go, but that's always kind of a concern. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on why we don't have any Andrew Luck lineups, Hassan?
2: Uh, yeah, and I think it's primarily because we kind of glossed over uh, this in the pod <laughs> yesterday. Uh, I, if I recall correctly, Pat's corre- uh, projections had him at sub five percent. He had Lamar Jackson at five, and I think he had Luck at like one or two. And we immediately drew towards uh, Wilson and Trubisky there. But luck's actually kind of fascinating. And I think I got too infatuated with choosing Hilton or Hopkins. And then having one of Ebron or Hilton in the the lineup with Hopkins on the other side. I really can't see myself getting off of Hopkins at all. And uh, I think I'd be willing to roster him all all the way up uh, until I could like reject his ownership at anywhere north of nine. 90 percent, i would say if only because his floor ceiling combo is probably the safest among all wide receivers and unless you're making a really uber contrarian lineup like taking deshaun watson or something or even just outright fading the texans uh or taking a lamar miller or something that i really can't see myself not having hopkins in there and i just never put two and two together so uh thank you so much Deshaun. uh this is sort of why we brought him on this is You know, you can tell uh, we're very green at this uh, playoff challenge. So so having Sean here uh, just give these uh, phenomenal leverage plays. Uh, He is probably, if you're listening to this and playing the FFPC format, don't take Sean's recommendations. Uh, Please play all the bad players.
1: (laughs) Yeah. My last
3: question, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, kind of, you know, if we expect this game to shoot out, even if the Colts win, Hopkins is someone who you would think could do really well, even if they lose. Um, so he's attractive from that standpoint. Um, but yeah, I don't know. A Houston fade maybe makes more sense if we're all in on the Colts.
1: So that, that, And that kind of goes to my other question. A lot of the lineups that I'm looking at here have both Hopkins and Hilton, or they have some permutation with both a Colts and a Texans player. Now, obviously, that doesn't necessarily mean that it won't work out, and it will give you one of those guys going through in the lineup as a guarantee when we're looking at ownership certainly that's that's important because the, the ownership is going to play into who wins the overall challenge how much do you think plays in in terms of at the eight spots so you know discounting kicker and defense at the eight spots you want to have eight players from teams who within that lineup all eight teams could advance to the second weekend
3: that's a great point it kind of caps your upside to roster both of these guys, um, yeah, kind of, I guess, trying to make the most of the of a correlation play in the first round, but maybe not looking uh, looking ahead enough. Um, yeah, I mean, if if Hopkins is ninety percent owned, like Hassan thinks he <laughs> maybe could be, I mean, I don't know if he actually is projecting that, but it wouldn't surprise me if he were the highest owned player. Um, maybe a fade on at least one of our lineups would make a lot of sense. What do you think of that, Hassan?
2: I am down for it. I mean, I mean, I mean realistically, you we want to try and give ourselves access to, you know, the scenarios that we are thinking are going to happen or are probable to happen and we just got to tell ourselves a story and kind of go with it uh, that the other lineup doesn't tell kind of capture the most possible way to get all those points into our team if if that makes uh, if I'm using my words correctly.
3: Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. Um, why don't we move on to another one of these wild card games that is a little bit interesting? The uh, Chargers are going to Baltimore to face the Ravens. The Ravens don't really have a lot of skill position players that I'm interested in rostering. I know Sigmund Bloom had Lamar Jackson in his perfect playoff challenge lineup, uh, but I think apart from their defense and Justin Tucker, Nobody is going to draw too much ownership, even though I think they're a team that a lot of people expect to advance to the next round. So, uh, is that kind of the way you would be playing the Ravens, Sean?
1: I, I think Justin Tucker is kind of interesting with the Ravens simply because if you made the mistake of, of going that direction and the Ravens advanced multiple rounds then Tucker is one of those kickers who actually can score enough points that it's not going to completely kill you. Although, again, you know, having the kicker or defense there is not the position you want to wind up with. I think there's an interesting play if you have the rest of your lineup pretty chalky. And that's, I think, the balance, is how do you roster as many stars as possible and yet have enough diversification that you have a chance to have a unique lineup. And so... With the Ravens, I think the only person that I would be looking at would be Kenneth Dixon. And that's a little bit of a strange one there, in part because we don't even know that he will be the running back starter. But with the offense moving a little bit in that direction, having him be someone who could have some receptions, who if the game falls perfectly, could have a decent yardage total and then would potentially have multiple touchdowns, then... He lets you play a running back that's going to be a unique running back while you're playing a lineup that has other stars in it. For me, I think that game is is a pivotal game, and that's a, a very close game. We saw the Ravens win and win in a really controlling fashion at the Chargers recently, and now we have to look and decide if we think the Chargers, who other than that Ravens game, really have seemed like the best team in the AFC. And we have to uh, try and get a sense for how healthy Keenan Allen is, how healthy Melvin Gordon is. And kind of like I was saying, I've been driving for almost the last um, 48 hours, obviously not straight, but in terms of availability. So, you know, if there are some injury things there to update on, but the idea of Gordon or Allen, if they're healthy, and if we think the charters can get through that game at all.
3: Yeah, I know. Well, probably Hassan has a, a Kenneth Dixon take that would be interesting what do you think of that play oh
2: man like i've been joking that kenneth dixon's like uh pretty much a guy who we only realize exists when he's on ir but like (laughs) it's very hard to uh, argue with what they've done uh i mean these last few weeks he's kind of really come on and it looks like baltimore's taking a very hot hand approach And uh, unlike Gus Edwards, he catches the ball a lot, you know? And it's not like Lamar Jackson is uh, really clicking with any of the other Wideouts uh, that they have, which is a bit of a shame. I mean, John Brown still getting deep targets. Michael Grabtree, uh is uh, clearly not the wide receiver one uh, Baltimore thought he was, but they had the cap space to spend it. So why not? Willie Sneed, uh, uh, his limitations have been laid bare now that Drew Brees is no longer his QB. And I would say Mark Andrews has, has emerged as their best playmaking threat. So I like the idea of getting Kenneth Dixon in there. What really worries me is that triple uh, rushing approach and uh, Lamar Jackson's ability to sort of siphon away that red zone equity or that touchdown equity that makes um, some of the other running backs on the slate very viable. Uh, The last I checked, uh, Melvin Gordon was practicing in full, whereas Austin Eckler was hampered by injury. Uh, And the last time these two teams met, uh, they fed Justin Jackson 10 targets, uh, which is a recipe for losing the game uh, 22-10 as they did. Uh, to the to the Ravens. So I think they probably want to flip that around and probably target Melvin Gordon a little bit more. And Melvin Gordon sort of siphons away some of that red zone equity a, bit, a little bit from the receivers. Uh uh and so I think that like Melvin Gordon might be the the play that I'm looking for out of this game, especially if the Chargers do upset the Ravens. Uh but to Sean's point about Justin Tucker a little bit earlier, this is a an offense that kind of stalls out a little bit after midfield and it. You know, it helps that Tucker's pretty much automatic from, what, 48 yards there?
3: Oh, yeah. What, 55? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's uh, an interesting point. I mean, you can see Tucker kind of being the highest scoring player on the Ravens apart from maybe Lamar Jackson if they actually do advance. So um, he's, like, the easy choice on the Ravens. I think a lot of people will click on his name Uh you know, you get to the end and you still have a kicker spot available and you haven't used any Ravens. He's the obvious choice. Um, is there any concern you think that the chargers, i mean, if you're if you're betting on the Ravens, is there any concern that the chargers kind of learned how to how to beat? Uh, I mean, they obviously didn't beat them before, but maybe learned from their mistakes uh, from a couple weeks ago and can maybe um, control the game a little more and stop Lamar Jackson?
1: Well, for me, I think the the tricky part, is you know how you would play these chargers now i definitely think they can win the game they haven't been maybe as impressive even outside of that game since their victory over the chiefs they seem to let down and part of that was simply not having a couple of their main offensive weapons completely healthy which will hamstring any team if you're looking at them as really the best team in the afc and You can look at them as as not quite as explosive as the Chiefs, obviously, but with a much better defense, a much more well-rounded team, a ton of offensive weapons. And so if if you want to have some exposure to that team, then I do think you're still looking at Gordon or Allen. But the problem with playing them is that not only do the Chargers have to spring the upset, but they have to play well beyond the Ravens because realistically they're – that that game is probably not going to be a shootout. And that's one of my problems I think with going with Lamar Jackson too, is I don't think that the Ravens are going to be winning any of these games in shootouts. And so I would be going to, i would be putting my money in scenarios where a team advances that would be higher scoring. So with the chargers, one of the exciting things is if they do pull off that Ravens game and I would put that at pretty close to 50, 50 simply because I do think the chargers are the far superior team that then there's a, a scenario in which they go against the chiefs. Now we talked about our Colts scenario. And certainly if that plays out, then you have Colts chiefs and you lose that opportunity. But any of these teams that line up fairly early on with Kansas city, then their players become pretty exciting, especially chargers players more. So I think than Ravens players for obvious reasons where a Melvin Gordon or a Keenan Allen, but, but really getting back to Gordon who because of health and because of that first round matchup, I would expect his ownership to be much lower than it would be in any other sort of uh, 2018 scenario, but you'd be able to have access to him. He could be someone who would have a lot of receptions in that Ravens game and then put up a massive game against the chiefs. I keep going back to the fact that I do think that the chiefs are susceptible to being defeated in that first game at Arrowhead. And so if you can get players who will play their defense and score that huge number against them and then move on the Patriots play that same bend but don't break defense, but better. And then you go on into the super bowl with uh, what outside of probably the bears, you know, maybe upsets with the, with the Seahawks, something like that is going to be a high scoring game. And so, you know, if you have the chargers guys and they move all the way through, they're not just going to be moving through, they're going to be scoring a ton of points.
2: What also kind of really excites me a little bit about like this Chargers-Chiefs game is in Arrowhead, they won last time uh, 29-28 off of 15 unanswered points. Uh, and uh, Philip Rivers was doing that wave thing to the crowd as he like ran off the field, uh, Sean, if you remember that. I'm sure that I had switched off the uh, television before that point. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I would guarantee that uh, the Chiefs are sure to remember that. And uh, I can see them um, reminding the Chargers just where they are, uh, assuming the Chargers do actually beat the Ravens uh, it, and make it all the way to Arrowhead. Um, and this time with Melvin Gordon and Doe, like you said, I mean, like uh, Justin Jackson was their lead running back there, and he put up a pretty nice number. And, uh, you know, by transmuter property, you can just see Melvin Gordon having a very nice floor ceiling combination and also uh, watch, you know, Mahomes or Hill or whoever it is just go absolutely nuts on the opposing team. So it could be a, one of those high scoring offenses. And I agree with you about the Melvin Gordon um, leverage play. This is something that Pat Corrine brought up on the pod yesterday. And he just comes off as like, everyone is uncertain of his health. He kind of had that ankle ding, uh, You know, all beat reporters seem to say that he's he's practicing in full um, and people forget that Melvin Gordon was having a very Todd Gurley-esque season before the injuries really sapped that away from him uh, on a points per game basis. He had and, you know, he's been overshadowed a little bit and kind of hopefully the out of sight, out of mind uh, pushes his ownership down into a very nice uh, 30 percent, sub 30 percent. Where you've got a guy who sees work in all game scripts and is a threat to, you know, he really is a RB1 plus wide receiver too. And that comes with a nice 40 point ceiling and a 20 point ish plus uh, 20 plus point floor. And you can work him into lineups that have a lot of the other stud running backs as
1: well. And so I, I think that he's a guy you can get and still feel like you're going to have a unique lineup based on where you go at quarterback, just the fact that he's in it, and then making maybe a tricky decision on that Cowboys-Seahawks game.
3: Yeah, and speaking of that Cowboys-Seahawks game, uh, that's one that I think is really interesting. A lot of the lineups we put together have either a cowboys fade altogether or at least fading Ezekiel Elliott who we expect to be probably the highest owned running back as the only elite running back coming in really healthy um it's a game that I think it opened at two and a half and has moved a little bit toward the Seahawks uh yeah I I kind of expect the Seahawks to possibly win that game so that's partly why I'm I'm thinking a Cowboys fade makes sense and a Zeke fade makes sense am I crazy for thinking that
1: I don't think so. And one of the exciting elements there is that while certainly the ceiling is a little bit lower, the projections are obviously going to be a little bit lower. Chris Carson has put up numbers over the last month that make him very palatable as as a running back play, certainly uh, if you move three or four guys using your flexes. And if you play Carson with the homes, someone like that, then you can get a little bit more of a unique lineup and still have access to that big upside because the Seahawks are, you know, potential multiple game winners. And, you know, that, that gets you off of the Cowboys without moving you to a player who's going to be a low touch player. It it allows you to put together a lineup that is going to be unique in terms of picking the teams that move through without having to move down to lower level players. And, Not that lower-level players won't have big games, and in many of these contests, obviously, we often see that it is that lower-level player that has a huge game that becomes part of the unique lineup that wins the contest. At the same time, we can do similar things by simply picking teams that are less likely to move through, but maintaining access to the big-time touches.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, one thing we kind of discussed with Carson on the pod the other night was uh, some concerns that he might not be as involved in the game if the Seahawks find themselves trailing or in a really close game. Uh, Even though he has put up a lot of points, I think in two of his last three games, he had zero targets, actually. So that's a little bit of a concern for me, but maybe I'm overthinking things. Um, I know, Hassan, you were... A little bit on Carson before, although we don't have any lineups with him in them now. What do you think?
2: Yeah the the interesting thing about Carson and really the Seahawks is just how uh, committed this team is to erasing the forward pass. Um, <laughs> Carson a few weeks ago against the Niners when they actually had to throw the ball because they were you know they messed around a little bit too much, uh, let the 49ers hang around a little bit too long, and then lost. Uh, Carson had uh, six targets that he converted into 29 yards, and even then, uh, when they played against the Chiefs, uh, they, were u- they, were util- they didn't utilize Chris Carson in the passing game. They utilized Mike Davis rarely. They used Doug Baldwin as their primary guy with 12 targets. I mean, it's not like Russell Wilson's been putting up ridiculous uh, passing numbers. They're really like Their run-pass ratio is actually disgusting. And if, if you really saw that, like the, like the play-calling split, it, it really is very jarring to see that in raw numbers. And um, we actually kind of saw them almost lose to the Cardinals, uh, who, uh, if memory serves, are absolute garbage. Um, you know, and this is what happens when you play this run-heavy ball-control style. You let any NFL offense hang around, and that's just how it works. It's like... You, like in in and that's how it goes. And Chris Carson had the one target. And that's where I think Carson's lack of targets come in because we saw him get usage uh, fairly heavily as a receiver when they needed to. And um, if you think Dallas takes control of this by a touchdown plus, then Carson gets those targets that you're looking for. They have been utilizing him as a backup. It's just that they don't want, for some odd reason, Russell Wilson to pass the ball at all. And that's the one thing I just haven't figured out what they're doing
3: yeah the Seahawks are interesting because although I kind of like them to advance um there's no one really on their team that I'm really that I'm all that excited about uh Russ maybe but uh I think he's got some risks just uh how much they want to run the ball Carson maybe although as I've said kind of concerned with his uh passing game usage sometimes although I think in one game he did have six targets so maybe I'm Maybe I'm just being too uh, too picky or something. But uh, yeah, it's hard to come up with a really good way to play the Seahawks that I feel comfortable with. Um, is there anything else I'm missing here, Sean?
1: Well, the main thing, at least from the perspective of not all of your teams are going to advance anyway, so not all of your players are going to advance, is that mm-hmm. there's reason to believe that the Cowboys are less likely to blow them out than perhaps some of their other opponents and so Carson uh, from a game script perspective is probably going to be more heavily involved Uh, you know if he can hold off his own teammates which (laughs) even with how well he's played I think is never a given you get into those self games and you're looking at the Saints in the Rams and that's a more difficult story at the same time a little bit of what Hassan talked about could be could can work both directions where they're not going to blow out the Cardinals but perhaps they're not going to be blown out but like a team uh, for the the Chiefs for example where we saw them spring the upset a couple weeks ago if they're able to stick in the second game as well then suddenly Carson moves into a, a pretty intriguing category and I think that even though the Rams and the Saints will be heavy favorites Uh, in that game, whichever way it plays out, that both of those offenses have been less dynamic as of late. The heavy influence of Mark Ingram has allowed teams to stick around with the Saints. Uh, Their lack of a secondary receiver has maybe bogged them down a little bit. Certainly the Rams, in the aftermath of the cup injury, and with Jerry Goff really struggling, have and with Todd Grilly, perhaps not 100% or almost certainly not 100%, they're less likely to go on one of those scorched earth uh, first halves where they end up up by two, three, four touchdowns. And so Carson maybe is is less likely to be schemed out of the game now than he might have been a month ago if you gave me these same teams.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, just worried about um, you know the Seahawks facing a team that... <laughs> We know can put up a lot of points Like the Saints or the Rams Even though they haven't done it But uh, I'm it's possible I'm overthinking things here um, But moving on to the Rams Anyway we have a lot of lineups with Gurley And then we have some Goff And some Robert Woods lineups Just uh, thinking There have been a few times in the past Like the Rams game against uh, Chicago And against Kansas City Where Gurley wasn't necessarily As involved uh, In games where the Rams were either trailing or they were in a shootout, so I think there's some concern not only with his health, but also with the fact that he sometimes seems to be phased out of the game, Uh, we have a few examples of that, so um, yeah, is a girly fade just uh, being too cute, or is it something that we should seriously consider? I'd
1: like to have Gurley in the lineup more as a defensive play just to then be able to build other things into the lineup without worrying that you're going to lose simply because you didn't include Gurley. Mm-hmm. And then he has one of these massive, massive uh, performances or stretches of performances. And for me, it's it's a little bit more difficult to look to Goff. If you assume that the Rams are going to make it through, then I think Gurley is the person that you want. Goff is a less exciting option at quarterback simply because He's less likely to have those massive games, even if they end up playing the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, for example, where I think you would want Mahomes. Woods is one of my favorite guys, and so I, I certainly wouldn't go against him there. But if you move off of Camara, then you can go to Michael Thomas. If you move off of Mahomes, then you can go to Tyreek Hill. And so there are some options off of some of the other stars two wide receivers and that wide receiver position is maybe going to be uh, less appealing anyway. So I think when I'm moving off of the stars, I'd like to move off on one of the teams where I can then put an elite wide receiver in the lineup. And as much as I love woods and you know, he was the key to some of my lineups this year, I expect to have him uh, next year on, on a variety of teams, you know, made some moves for him as a dynasty owner to where I now have a bunch of ownership in dynasty. He just doesn't have the single game upside of a Tyree killer or Michael Thomas to where if you move off of those superstars, you could still get a 40 plus game.
2: Right. And that was one thing that we talked about, because I think like we've got uh Pat Scott, uh, both Dodd Gurley and uh, Zeke Elliott as the two most high owned running backs. And I think if we're going to rough, like just straight fade one or the other, I'd rather fade Zeke over Gurley. And like you said, I think Gurley Gurley's inclusion is primarily just a defensive play uh, because there's just so much uh, variety at the running back position that you're not going to gain much from outright like from fading him but because if he goes off then you're pretty much sunk anyway
3: yeah that's a great point um he's kind of someone you have to have to win if he has if he puts up big games and the rams make a make a long run um, they're probably doing it on the back of a lot of Todd Gurley touchdowns and maybe not so much Jared Goff and Robert Woods. So uh he's someone who's hard to fade, probably just if you expect the Rams to go far. Um you know, if they don't make it to the Super Bowl, then probably the next most likely team would be the Saints. And uh I think there we're looking at a lot of Kamara, a little Michael Thomas. We have one Drew Brees lineup uh the saints have not really been throwing the ball much lately i guess there's a chance they get into the playoffs and they're in some close games and they want to rely on breeze more do you think that that could happen is breeze uh a viable option for this sort of format
1: I would think Breeze would be a viable option because like you said, if they win, I do think they're going to have to win in shootout mode. It's not going to be that ball control, uh, hoping the other team doesn't outscore them. Uh, you know, if they leave teams in the game, I think that they're going to have the the types of problems you would expect with that. And certainly, you know, coming from behind, any of those types of scenarios are going to require Drew Breeze. My question would be in terms of the diversification, is that going to be enough i see in the breeze lineup obviously you've got some very highly owned uh secondary players if you're moving in that direction can you then go with Gurley? can you go with elliot one of the things you know in terms of looking at some of the different lineups here your breeze lineup is is somewhat similar to my andrew luck lineup and those plays obviously when, when you're going with the number one seed at quarterback that is much safer than going with the number six seed at quarterback Is that going to give you a lineup that is too similar to what some other folks are owning? Or uh, My my tendency is to think that diversification can be a little bit overvalued or overemphasized if you outthink yourself on some of these guys, where hitting the the top players is certainly going to be a main part of what actually determines the winner.
3: Yeah, that's a great point. I have been thinking that a lot of our lineups, uh, the ones we have here are maybe a little bit too chalky. Um, You know, uh, we have a bunch of lineups here, but I think we actually only have two teams, so we're not going to use all of these. But uh, So in terms of diversification, we won't be able to get that much of it. Um, We're going to have to let some of these lineups go. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's right, that it is possible to over-diversify, and we'll probably... I mean there basically a lot of quarterbacks will have to leave off and I think there are enough good options on the Saints. Uh, you know, if they are in shootout mode, Michael Thomas is certainly gonna be involved. Kamara is almost certainly gonna be involved. Uh yeah, in shootout mode he's always involved. So um you know between uh the between Hopkins and Edelman and Hilton Thomas could go overlooked, especially if a lot of people are playing Camara or Breeze, so he is potentially a good uh underowned receiver who could obviously put up a huge game that uh I think we want to try to fit into at least one lineup. Um yeah, what do you think about the Saints, hassan
2: I think Michael Thomas was a guy who I called uh yesterday uh when we were giving our bold uh you know, or sort of our sneaky leverage plays at the end and uh I really think that, like, finding that pivot off of Kamara onto Michael Thomas is one we should have in one of our lineups. Um, I would much rather not have Breeze at quarterback. Uh, I think that there's enough variety at quarterback outside of Mahomes, like uh, Sean mentioned, at luck, uh, you know, with, with luck and then whoever else we choose, Trubisky as another, that we don't have to really swallow Breeze uh, as, a, as a viable quarterback, especially because uh, we'd rather have his weapons and specifically his two best weapons in Kamara and Thomas. Uh, you know, when the rubber hits the road, I really think that that the targets will be funneled through those two players. And it's very hard to understate the impact that Ted Ginn will have on this offense. Um, unfortunately, I don't think teams uh, bought Traquan Smith as a viable uh, deep threat or a Ted Ginn replacement. Uh, so now that Ginn is back, maybe they will actually start to respect that boundary, that speed on the boundary. And that should open up stuff underneath, not only for Kamara, but also for Thomas and uh, hopefully maybe for Trae Smith. But that's more of a dynasty hope than anything else. What are your thoughts, Sean?
1: Yeah, I, I well, I mean, Trae would be the perfect player who no one is going to own because he has the multiple 30 plus games and then uh, almost an impossible number of zeros. <laughs> I know that wasn't exactly the question, but I in terms of the ownership, fill me in on where Pat was, Alvin Kamara versus Michael Thomas.
3: Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think Kamara above 40%, maybe close to 50 and then Michael Thomas around 20%. Uh,
2: let me just pull it up. Um, yeah. I think uh, Pat had... Michael Thomas, he had Michael Thomas uh, at uh, 21% and I believe he, yeah, 21% and he had Kamara at 43%.
3: Yeah, and then Breeze was at about 20... 22. 22, okay. So, yeah, concentrated on those three guys, obviously. Um, I think that's probably about right. I can see maybe a little more ownership moving Thomas's way and off Breeze just... uh, considering kind of how how uh, little they've thrown the ball. And when they do, they kind of funnel it to Thomas. So um, Thomas gives you a lot of the points you are getting from Breeze anyway. Um, so, I mean, that's a good reason to use Michael Thomas, but also a good reason that more people might. But, but I'd say those numbers, I'd guess those are pretty accurate.
1: Going through some of the lineups that you have here and some of the different permutations, again, in terms of what teams would advance and how that would affect the points that the players can score and then how that would affect the rest of your lineup and who you'd want to have in some other slots, for me, it really still is Patrick Mahomes, Andrew Luck, or Mitchell Trubisky in those slots because Mahomes is such a, a massive scorer and then because some of those other teams have options at the other positions that are so exciting on teams where I just don't think the quarterback has the same kind of ceiling. And so with Trubisky needing to really be the guy, if the Bears are able to move through, again, you know, maybe four games that are massive shootout games, the Colts moving through all of those games that would be shootout games, uh, including that you know upset over the Chiefs, how valuable would it be to have that extra game knowing that if you assume that they will make the Super Bowl and then with all the stars that you could roster in addition to those two guys.
3: Yeah, that's a great point. I think um, kind of what we had come down to is either ba- basically either playing Mahomes or uh, getting down to one of these wildcard guys. I mean, I know we have a lot of lineups on here with Goff and Breeze, but I don't think we're, you know, when when it comes down to actually the lineups we're thinking of putting in, it's uh one of those two options. It's Mahomes or, or a wild card player. I mean, uh, we had talked about Trubisky. I think he's probably our favorite quarterback of the wild card, uh, in the wild card games. Just because we think the Bears are the most likely to advance um, multiple games and possibly to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, you know, if I had to guess, we will probably have one Mahomes lineup and maybe one Trubisky lineup. But uh, luck is also really intriguing. Um, I'm maybe not as convinced as you are, Sean, that the Colts will win that game so easily. Uh, What has you so uh, excited about them?
1: They've been just on absolute fire, and I think that you can make the same case for the Texans, although the Texans do a similar type of thing that the Seahawks do, where they keep their opponent in it. And uh, this is true of, of both the Colts and the Texans because they're both there in the AFC South. They're playing somewhat similar schedules, but the Texans very strong stretch. So, so both teams started out poorly, right? That first three games, the first somewhat a larger stretch there for the Colts. When they turn it around, they're turning it around in all areas, Defense is ascending, is ascending, but they're doing it against teams that are not elite. And yet The Texans are doing this run heavy approach, uh, run on first down, run on first down, run on first down, keep the game close, win the game, you know, by a, a reasonable margin at the end, but not blowing teams out. And so when I look at Deshaun Watson, who is someone who even with that offensive approach has been a good fantasy player, I think that he also becomes a compelling option at quarterback the problem is there is that if you do think the Texans are going to win multiple games, then Deandre Hopkins just becomes you know, such an exciting option at wide receiver. But when I'm looking at the Colts versus the Texans and looking at the Texans willingness to keep the game close to not eliminate their opponent, you look at the different scenarios. I think that the Colts, they could either blow out the Texans or they could win close the Texans. Almost their only route is to win close, which gives them sort of fewer outs as you move through that game. Now, if you think that they're the stronger team, certainly the home team has the advantage there, then perhaps close games, you know, games that are say zero to 10 points uh, and games that maybe are in that margin through most of the middle of the game, as opposed to coming back down to that margin at the end, then you're talking about games that maybe you say, the Texans have a pretty big advantage in that style of game. But but again, one of the problems, and like Asana was saying, you don't create as many options for your offensive players to explode, but you also keep your opponent in it. And so I think that that potential for them to even sort of dominate the game, but not put the Colts away and then have Andrew Luck, you know, really sort of rising with this multiple offense. We're getting our guy Heinz a little bit more involved, even though he's not putting up the big lines yet. And, you know, if you keep them in it, then I like their chances. So I, I see the Colts as having more outs based on the way they play. Than the Texans
3: do. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, something I hadn't really thought about about how the uh, Colts are much more likely to uh, to blow teams out than the Texans. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at some of the other lineups that uh, you've got here, Sean. I know you have noticed you have one with uh, James White, who isn't someone we had really talked about as a Patriots option. Um, obviously, if the Patriots are coming from behind, he's usually involved. He's been getting almost the same number of targets as Gronkowski, I guess, um, lately since Edelman has returned. So, um, yeah, what's your rationale for including him?
1: He's another play where I think that the ownership will be lower and could allow you to then move Michael Thomas into a lineup where perhaps you had Tyreek Hill or perhaps you went with someone like a DeAndre Hopkins. If we move away from Kamara and to Thomas, which if you're expecting there to be a pretty big ownership split there, as Pat was saying, then I think is, is a something you definitely want to strongly consider. Then looking at how to fill in in that running back position, how to maybe have a little bit more unique lineup. And if you're not going to play Edelman, then I think you have to move to White because White is the guy with, the big upside in this type of scenario. Now, if the Patriots are about to go out and play the AFC East, as they spend most of the season doing, if they're going to go play the bills, the jets, the dolphins, then perhaps you like Michelle and you're going to say, okay, if the game falls, right, Michelle could get three, four touchdowns and he could do it multiple times in the playoffs with the teams the Col- uh, the Patriots are going to face there. And, again, I think it becomes much more exciting when you think about this particular set of playoffs where you do have the Ravens in it, you do have the Chargers in it, where that could be a little bit more of a low-scoring game if things break that way. But when you have teams like the Colts, when you have a Texans team where even though they like to run the ball, uh, there are some playmakers there, there are some holes in their defense that can be exploited. But when you look at that Chiefs game and then you look at the Super Bowl, if you have a Rams Super Bowl or – a Saint Super Bowl, even certainly if you have a Bears Super Bowl, you know, we saw what happened already in an Eagle Super Bowl. Those are James White kinds of games where the Patriots to move that offense and the offense has struggled. Right. But that's a, a situation where you ex- would expect them to potentially trail if they're going to win. They're going to win by coming from behind in James White style where he has six, seven, eight, ten 10 receptions, maybe multiple receiving touchdowns. You know, he's in there in the spread and maybe he gets a rushing touchdown. And maybe he does that multiple times. So, you know, if you play the Chiefs and you play the Rams, you're going to have to score a ton of points. And the
2: only way this Patriots team can do that is with White at the center of it. What really gives me a little bit of pause is, and it kind of goes back to what Monty Fawn wrote about uh, the Patriots as running backs way back when we were doing the high-stakes drafts at the start of the season, it's just, there's a very real possibility, you know, Rex Burkhead has started taking away high-leverage uh, high looks from the other running backs, and uh, somehow James Devlin seems to also wind up with the touchdowns. So, you know that that's like my bigger fear there with the with the James White um, play over some of the other ones. It's just a matter of uh, he doesn't get in, or they just don't necessarily feed him a little bit when they're in the uh, you know in the, in the opponent's red zone on the ten or the five, and it's like a James Devlin or something else that you know goes awry. And that's where I think Rob Gronkowski gets interesting because he presents them that massive uh, red zone target.
3: Yeah, that's what I was about to ask. How do you? kind of compare those two options on the on the Patriots I mean I think what you said before about the Patriots is right that there's not there aren't a lot of players that really are exciting I mean we have Edelman in a ton of lineups but I think Pat has him projected for maybe close to 40 percent ownership so he would be getting up there and is not someone I'm necessarily thrilled about anyway so when looking at these pivots I mean, Gronkowski versus White, what does it come down to?
1: Yeah, and I guess the question I would have, and and this as a Gronkowski dynasty owner is sort of uppermost in my mind, not only for this year's playoffs, but also for next season. What are the chances that this Patriots team has just been completely playing possum all season, and especially with their usage of Gronkowski, and that perhaps he is not peak Gronkowski, but is actually fine? And that they're going to unleash him in the playoffs. They're going to be more explosive. They're going to score more. But he's going to play more snaps. And he's going to be more a focal point of what they do.
3: Yeah. Hassan brought up the idea of Gronkowski exploding in the playoffs in Slack chat. And I mentioned that that was a, seemed like a very Pat's thing for them for him to uh, come on in the playoffs after having what's really a pretty uh, disappointing season. So I can kind of see that Um I guess they're both James White and Gronkowski are are hard to feel really comfortable with, kind of for all the reasons we've mentioned on on both of them, the competition for White and just the, the fact that Gronk doesn't look like the Gronk we remember from past seasons. So I'm a little uh, hesitant to play either of them. Um, is it crazy to consider fading New England entirely considering they maybe have a pretty good shot to advance?
1: I don't think that it would be. And certainly if you are going with a DeAndre Hopkins lineup, I don't think that you should have Patriots in it.
3: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We did, we put together one, uh, Deshaun Watson lineup that, um, didn't have any Patriots in it, but I think, uh, DeAndre Hopkins is kind of the same thing and probably gives you most of the points you would get from Watson anyway. So, uh, That's a great point.
1: And I don't know that in terms of white and in terms of Gronkowski, that the questions and the concerns about them are as big a deal in this type of contest where you're not playing them long-term. You're really hoping that people are going to be off of them and that the games actually fall out perfectly for them. And, And unlike some other guys, uh, say for example, if you're going to take a Taylor Gabriel or players more of that ilk for, uh, you know, other guys on the Bears, even like Jordan Howard, for example, I don't see as much potential for the extreme upside with those types of, of say, secondary players as I do with the Patriots and certainly with the Patriots being in position and seeded to advance, then finding someone who is going to be lower owned and yet we've seen huge numbers from in the past, and, and we've definitely seen that both from Gronkowski and White, then you manage to hit multiple objectives of having someone who – it really does take a a somewhat unexpected result of those guys stacking multiple huge games in order to get across the finish line as the number one team in the contest.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, Yeah, uh, anything else we didn't touch on? I mean, looking over the lineups we have kind of put in here, is there anything that we are obviously missing, Sean?
1: I don't think so. I I like the lineups. I like the Mike Williams lineup, although uh, the way he was erased the last time that they played the Ravens certainly uh, is an uncomfortable move in terms of that very first game. But Williams is certainly a guy where uh, if you look back three, four weeks from now and the Chargers made their run to the Super Bowl. And again, the Chargers may be the best team in football, right? They, They miss out on the number one seed in the AFC because of tiebreakers, that kind of thing. And they have a guy who is someone who has the lower overall volume, someone you wouldn't necessarily be targeting super early in a redraft team because of that, but has that potential to go for multiple touchdowns in multiple games. And so I I like that one that you have in there. I I do think that the the key for me would be to come up with lineups where those – top eight positions the guys could all get into that second round and that if you're going to have a a Patriots you're not going to have a Hopkins Uh, certainly if you're going to have a Hopkins you're maybe not going to have one of the Colts guys so in terms of setting it up for those wild card games like that that would be the way that I would try and move off of the highest owned lineups as opposed to actually moving off of some of those top guys but yeah I mean these these lineups look great and uh, you know as we've been talking about the whole show this is such a fun contest
3: yeah absolutely that's a great point something that i kind of had uh not fully been aware of or not fully been thinking about when making a lot of these lineups so there's a lot that uh we're just kind of without even noticing i've been capping the upside on just you know including i don't know hopkins and hilton you think uh if that game shoots out, you get you probably get points from both of them, but then of course obviously you don't get any more points from one of them the whole rest of the contest, so um yeah, we could definitely be a little more cognizant of uh trying to get a lineup where our top eight guys go through. That's a great point. Um yeah. Anything else we should cover? I think we've been through all the all the wildcard games, all the teams. Is there uh anything else we missed?
1: no i think that sounds good give give me uh, your picks again for wild card weekend before we go
3: uh picks let's see chicago baltimore uh seattle and i guess colts you've convinced me on indianapolis
2: yeah i'd go with something very similar except uh, i take the chargers over the ravens if only because um i just think that there's a little bit lacking from this ravens team like uh, it'd be a pretty big stretch for a rookie quarterback to beat a uh you know you mentioned this several times but like one of the better teams in the afc um it would be a heck of a performance and they might you know it might be a harbinger of them making a run but um i would probably take the chargers i
1: I will go with those those picks as well that you just had and for me it's probably more that i i don't necessarily think the chargers are the favorite there so much as philip rivers is a perfect villain for these nfl mm-hmm. playoffs and so as a chiefs fan uh, i'd like to see those villains get through and make it interesting in the second round
3: well i'm certainly biased going for the ravens here but uh got to uh represent hometown team so uh, yeah, that'll do it for this special edition of the Fantasy Football Report. Be sure to get your entry into the FFPC Playoff Challenge. I think the, uh, the challenge is capped at, I want to say, 4,200 entries. And I believe last I checked, there were still about 1,000 available, maybe a little bit less now. Um, obviously, it's going to fill soon. I'm pretty sure it's filled the last few years, so you definitely want to get your entry in soon. Uh, special thanks to our guest, Sean Siegel. For Hassan Rahim, I'm Blair Andrews. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the RotoViz Radio podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter, at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to RotoViz at a 30% discount through the RotoViz Radio homepage, slash podcast.
0: At T-Mobile, get an awesome iPhone XR on us when you bring your family over and trade in your old device. Because whether you have mom, dad, or a friend on your mind, it's a gift so bold and brilliant, you'll want to keep it for yourself. And most importantly, it's on us in six vibrant colors. Plus, with unlimited everything from T-Mobile, the awesome iPhone XR will have everyone snapping, streaming, and sharing to their heart's content all year long. But don't wait. It's only for a limited time. So visit a store or call one 800 t mobile and get iPhone 10R on us. If congested, customers using more than 50 gigs per month may notice reduced speeds due to prioritization. Video at 480p via 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers plus tax. Qualifying trade-in, port-in, service, and finance agreement required. Contact us before canceling our credit stop and remaining balance due. 64 gigs zero down plus 3125 per month for 24 months. Pre-credit price 749.99 0% APR. One offer per account.